Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Difference Maker Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Calderoni, and today we've got a really cool guest on, somebody that we've really been actually vexed. I'll, I'll kind of share with you in a sec, but, you know, we've been trying to do this for like two months, even longer, I would say, right? I think originally we started reaching out about this podcast at like, man, it was way longer than two months now that I think about it. It was like April like Easter weekend and then it like dragged into Father's Day and then it was like dude like we're both back at it now right so yeah that was uh that's what it was but Jeff Lavecchio um you know he's somebody that we've we've talked about before we obviously share a lot of stuff about on our social platforms we like a lot you know what he does and, and what he's all about but Jeff I'm gonna let you take the floor on this um first off man how are you doing with with everything going on this COVID stuff all that you know like just give us a, a bit of a look into your life right now and, and what it's like to be a trainer for athletes and such with all of this happening. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really weird time. And it's obviously for everyone, uh, just from being a strength coach perspective, like usually when you're creating an off-season program for, you know, NHL guys, college guys, whatever level athlete, you usually yep. start with their date they need to be ready at, which is called their peak date. So for my NHL guys, it's like usually it's, you know, September 15th, September 20th, that's the first day of camp. So that's yep. the day I need them to be the best they can be on the ice, ready to go 100% flying. And then you work backwards. Okay, so we're start peak date is September 15th. You're starting on whatever, June, July, March, whenever you're starting. And then I and then I look at how many months that is, how many weeks. I kind of break it down and all right, I want to do these phases, this then, whatever. Um, but with this COVID thing, all you know, I only train uh, pros, college, here, and like some midgets. And even with the midgets, they didn't know when they were going to start. You know, yeah, junior right. guys. I still have some junior guys in town whose teams folded and they're looking for a place to play, or guys that are tendered or drafted or going back to their second year and they don't know when their practices are going to even start. NHL guys are back from the bubble. AHL guys have been training since, you know, February. God knows, March. God knows. Yeah, like some of my guys have been training for nine months, and that's that's a whole different animal in itself, just trying to keep them interested and excited and keeping it fun, when to give them breaks, time off, stuff like that. So it's been a really weird time, but uh, luckily, like, I really try and have my – I try and create an environment that is not only, like – fun to come to every day and challenging but like I want the guys to be invested and interested in coming so um, I try and keep it light in there and I try and keep it fun so every day we're playing games and stuff like that to keep their excitement up and you know it's just it's a weird time for everybody yeah man it's super weird and actually we're going to touch on that environment piece again in a little bit that's something that I find really intriguing that you do um, and something that I've, I've heard you talk about before and I want you to share that with our audience in a sec but Let's start with, with the Jeff Lavecchio story first. I mean, you've had a super interesting career, not only from a sports side, but you're kind of like myself, where then you came into the whole coaching side. You're obviously in a different segment that I'm in a different sector. Um, but start with the career, man. And I mean, like, like, let's go back to the whole kid story, because I feel like this is something that a lot of people don't necessarily give enough credit to. Some, you know, they waver on it. But you're like me, right? Like, you were that hardworking player who not necessarily had you know grade a talent right from the get-go you earned everything you did um tell us about that like like take us through that that story first so i was born on august 26 <laughs> 1985 no i'm just kidding um so you know it's back when i started playing it's not like it is today where kids are playing triple a traveling all over the country and you know north America when they're seven like that's a joke I think but and you know, just sorry not to cut you off but for reference he's talking about hockey yeah, hockey. For anybody. Oh, yeah. Sorry, hockey. 
Um, so I started playing AAA hockey when I was in seventh grade. It was my first year of AAA. It was the second year you could play. So I was probably like 15 years old, I think. Um, I played one to two shifts a period that year. Like wow. one to two, or sorry, one to two shifts a game. One to two shifts a game. So like some games, I didn't even get one shift a period. Um, and there were games where I played, you know, four or five, six shifts in a period. So I'd yep. get, you know, 12, 18 shifts. But there were games where I played two shifts in the entire game. And luckily, it was a little bit different time. And luckily, my parents are the great parents they are. Um, you know, I'd come home sad or whatever after, after halfway through the season. They're like, look, we're not talking to the coach for you. If you want to find out why you're not playing, you need to talk to him. You need to go in there and ask him, what can I do to get more playing time? Not, why am I not playing? Why don't you play me more? It was, why, what can I do so that you want to play me more? Um, and the other thing was my dad had three pieces of advice for me. It was hard work, patience, and more hard work. And that's all he had. That was the only advice, really, that my dad gave to me consistently from seventh grade until the last year of my pro career. Uh, and my mom worked at a rink uh, for a junior team as an as a administrator. And luckily, she could get me on the ice for free. So I went, to, I went on the ice that, that summer after I only played one to two shifts a game, seventh grade. And I literally would go, and this is stupid, you know, and looking back now, knowing what I know, but I'd be on the ice for three to four hours a day by myself and rink empty, you know, just, just working my craft. And the things I was working on were stupid. Like I was standing still <laughs> shooting pucks. Like you don't do that in a game. Exactly. Um, but, but, you know, I look at it more of like it, it taught me how to be uh, a self-starter. Yep. You know, it made me go after things I wanted to go after. And that next season, my second year in AAA, I wound up on the second line, putting up like unbelievably more points. Um, and I was like, whoa. So what, what I found was that putting in that work day after day after day, I didn't even know, but I was building confidence in myself. And that's what yeah. translated to the ice. It wasn't just my skills got better. It, the biggest thing was I had confidence knowing that I was at the rink all day, every day and shooting in my garage and doing what I needed to do when I knew other guys weren't. And that built my own self-confidence, which immediately translated to the ice. So fast forward a couple of years, had a couple of really good years. The next year I wind up on the first line with Paul Stasny. We grew up all playing together. We were first line with hundred points. Like I was MVP of silver sticks, killing it, whatever. Um, and then uh, I wound up playing juniors in the USHL for Omaha. So I'm flying high. I'm coming in there after playing a tournament with Team USA, thinking I'm sweet. Uh, and I go there, and the, the league back then was like a lot of older guys. There was two-line pass, something I had never played before. That's how old I am. There was two-line pass. And, and I, I wind up having, up to Christmas, I had one goal, two assists in 32 games, I think it was. Wow. Just no confidence. You know, coach bagging on me, shitting on me left and right, mm -hmm. like, I almost wanted to quit. Um, luckily, and this is going to sound weird that I say luckily, luckily I got injured pretty bad from a hit where my groin tore, tore off the bone in this like really kind of freak wow. hit. Yeah. I was only allowed to work out my upper body for, it was 93 straight days I missed. I literally worked out upper body for 93 straight days, you know, Just not enough. knowing anything, you know, just being a meathead. Right. This is where my love for training came in because when I came back from that injury, I got my first ever fight in a game. I had been in fights in practice, but I had my first ever real fight in a game, tons of confidence, like came out just like a, like a caged animal. And that summer I was like, man, I got into working out. Like I saw my muscles grow, like confidence build. I knew that putting in work and that sweat equity 
would translate to more confidence because I had seen it just from the on ice stuff in the summers as a kid. And now I was doing on ice and off ice. And I went from one goal my first year in juniors to I think like 16 or 17. I was assistant captain the next year. I scored more goals, more points. Uh, and I accepted a scholarship to Western Michigan University. I chose to go to a smaller school because I, my goal was not to stay for the entire four years and sign an NHL deal. I yeah. told people that and they laughed at me. And so I, I use that as fuel, you know, fine. Yeah. Like, I don't care. You know, coach wanted me to quit in juniors my first year. And I come back as an assistant captain. I score a bunch of goals. Like I'm going to prove everyone wrong in college. So my freshman year, I think I played like the most on the team as uh, as a forward, as a freshman. The next year, the team and the coaches voted me the captain. Uh, there, I think there was only two sophomore captains, like the C in all of college hockey that year. And I was one of them. So that was a big honor. It was all attributed to me just always trying to find 1% better every day, every single day. Where can I get that edge? And, you know, guys are going out to the bar. I'm working out. I'll meet them there and I won't drink, but I'll go out with the boys, but I'll, I'll have one beer. I'll have no beers. I'll just carry around water all night and I'll go to bed early. I'll get up and I'll work out in the morning again because I knew what my goals were and I knew what I wanted to attain. And uh, luckily after my year, I signed with uh, the Boston Bruins. I left school early, which was my goal. And uh, uh, I went to the AHL, had a really good, like 20 games in playoffs. They played me over first and second rounders as a free agent in playoffs. Wow. Like, it was awesome. Uh, unfortunately, that summer I was skating, uh, my first summer skate of the summer. I went into the boards at full speed, uh, had super bad whiplash and a concussion that forced me to miss the next 15 months of uh, hockey. So, okay, hold on. Let's stop on that for a sec. Yeah. 15 months. Yeah. So what the hell happened? Yeah. It's, uh, so, so frustrating. I, uh, so when I was playing the American League, when I came out of college, I blew a guy up, like absolutely murdered this guy with a hit and my wrist kind of jammed, wound up. I, I tore my TFCC, uh, which is cartilage. So I had to wear this like gunslinger for the first two months of the summer. Right. Uh, not a big deal. It's going to heal. But then my first skate back out there where I skated in the summer in St. Louis, it's very hot. So there's condensation in the mm -hmm. rinks and the ceilings would drip, which would create these really big ice bubbles on the ice. Right. I don't really remember waking up or anything that morning. I lost 12 hours in my memory. Um, wow. But I do vaguely remember being like, there's a lot of bumps on the ice and guys being like, hey, we got to be careful today. And I guess I hit one of them right in front of the board skating, going full speed. And lights out like I got MRIs I got CT scans I, I went to two different hospitals that day I literally don't remember any of it I remember zero yeah so that happened in June I want to say my last game that season was probably in January March probably April March April playoffs in the American League um, I didn't play a game until the next season rookie training camp in September in the NHL um like I, I went through a very dark time. Like I could, I could barely get out of bed. If I went to the grocery store for that, for like probably six to seven months, I had to leave in three minutes. Like I had to be in the grocery store and right. out of the grocery store in three to five minutes or right. else I was getting dizzy. Okay. And I, I want to touch on that for a sec, because I feel like this is something that a lot of athletes can relate with. So relate with, sorry. So we've had two or three athletes this year so far that we've dealt with double hip surgeries. Um, We've had a couple athletes so far that have been dealing with torn shoulders, torn pecs, everything, okay? Dark times, and I want to sit on this for a second, then we'll, we'll kind of go back to, to the rest of it here. Um, 
bring people through that for a sec, because I feel like a lot of this time in becoming any kind of a difference maker, any kind of a, a you know, sensation at what you do, people don't glorify those dark times well enough and don't understand that that is really where people are made. And I think like, again, I spoke on this when I had a podcast with Jonathan Asario from Toronto FC, but we talked about it, like this piece of depression, this period of depression, not that it was chronic, but this period of depression was a natural part of the comeback. And I feel like a lot of the time when we are dealing with athletes and we are dealing with setback, a lot of people see that, that brief period in time as what's going to be the rest of my life. When in reality, it's usually just the part that's really forcing you out of your comfort zone a little bit more than you think. Um, I want you to share with our viewers, you know, up to what you're comfortable with that extent on, on what you face kind of during that. Like, I mean, you had the concussion symptoms. That was obviously really hard, but let's talk about the person you were because you've got a pretty big identity. Now you got a pretty big personality in a positive way, right? In a way that you influence people, you inspire people. That's, that's what leaders do. I'm sure there's something that was built within that period. And I want you to teach us about it. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so it's very, it's very hard. Like I went to the American league. And I did really well. Like they're mm-hmm. like, you know, you're going to play. They're telling my agent, he's going to play. Like you're going to be a player. You know, I, I wasn't like first, second, maybe even not even third line and projected NHL player, but maybe third, fourth penalty kill energy guy. I think I could have probably played a couple years in the NHL. Obviously you got to do well and all that stuff. Yep. And anybody can say, Oh, I could have, but I literally like nothing would have stopped me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I was healthy and it's easy to say that obviously, but so, you know, you sign your NHL deal, you know, I'm going into my first training camp. I'm thinking like, I'm going to prove them. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to, prove them they signed me for a good reason blah 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 and then this happens in the summer and like I've had I had a couple concussions before I'm thinking all right it's gonna be a week two weeks so like a week goes by can't exercise can't do anything whatever two weeks three weeks four weeks five weeks you know up to a month and a half or two months when I'm getting ready to go to Boston I haven't even worked out I lost a ton of weight because I wasn't able to lift you know I couldn't skate trying every three, four days to get back on it. I'm riding the bike. I'm getting dizzy in two minutes. And, you know, like it's people are, are, you know, they get me in front of sports psychologists like they do with everyone who has concussions Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. And they're like, you know, are you depressed? And I'm like, I'm not depressed because I have a concussion. I'm depressed because I worked my whole effing life and sacrificed everything. And I feel like it's being ripped away from me. So it's a very lonely feeling um, because like if it's your knee or your shoulder, you can work out the rest of your body. You can get in the gym and you can get better. Like when I tore my groin, I worked out upper body 93 straight days. Like I was able to get better. But when you are dealing with, yeah, yeah, it's how you get needy. (laughs) But you're dealing with post-concussion symptoms, you know, and back then, obviously the the protocol has come so far and I probably would have been back much sooner now if it happened to me. But they just told you, you know, wait a week and then try and ride the bike. And if you feel bad, wait three days and then try and ride the bike. You feel bad, wait a week. And just this thing where you're just sitting and doing nothing. And for me, as somebody who's a go-getter and I want to reach and I want to grab and I want to go after my goals, I couldn't do that. It was was out of my control. And that's what was most frustrating. And so for me, it it was so, so, so hard. And I was just sitting there. And then every day or every week I lived, I lived in Providence. That's where Boston's AHL team was. They're like, yeah, you're obviously going to be on the team. Just go to Providence, get an apartment right away. Whenever you're healthy, you'll play. 
So I'm going to see doctors in Boston four to five days a week. So I'm getting in the car, I'm driving an hour to Boston, seeing doctors for two to four hours a day at different hospitals, three to five days a week, whatever it was, and then driving an hour back every day, which looking back, probably not good for your eyes and your brain when you have concussions. Right. Um, and just, that was all I could do. And man, like, I'm not somebody who talks about my, my feeling, well, my problems, uh, you know, yep. if something, if I mess up or, or something's out of my, like, I just keep it in and, and, and it's not healthy. I know that now and I'm working on that, but like, I want to fix whatever's wrong with me. I want to fix mm-hmm. whatever's stopping me from my goals and almost every situation in my life, I've been able to find a way to pivot and still make forward progress right. with this, with a concussion. It's ve- like, it's very hard to make any progress. Oh yeah. Um, um, especially when you've been going months. So like, man, it was, it was super hard. I was going to the games and watching and I just wanted to be out there and I'm, you know, and then the, when, when you sign your NHL deal, usually have you buy an insurance policy if you ever get a career ending injury. So then I got, you know, the insurance people being like, well, if you play, you get 10 games. And if you play the 11th game, you won't get your insurance payout. And you can, and you, you, you'll, you'll never be covered for concussions again, or you can retire now and you get a buttload of money tax free. I'm not somebody who's about money, like right. obviously money to live. They're saying like, when I haven't worked out in 12 months and they're throwing that at me, Hey, you get these hundreds of thousands of dollars tax free. Um, but you have can never play a professional game again or I'm going to try and I have no idea what's going to happen. I've barely been able to friggin' walk and talk at the same time. So I got that in my head. Um, it, it, man, it was, it was very hard. Like I, it was the hardest time of my life. I had a dream every single, almost every single night I had a dream my teeth were falling out and it was the most real nightmare I've ever had. I would wake up. My sheets would be absolutely drenched in sweat. Like I literally, some nights I'd sleep on the couch. Some nights I'd sleep on the floor because my sheets would just get drenched in sweat. I'd wake up with my hands in my mouth. And I literally, it was the most real dream. Like my teeth were falling out. I have no idea if this is true or not. Somebody told me like a year later that a dream book says that when that happens, there's something standing between you and your goals (laughs) that you can't control. I've heard. Okay. Like I know that's just, you know, myth and and whatever not myth but like old school beliefs but dude there's yeah i've heard that too and i've heard i've experienced that as well and it's the same stuff but anyways continue go ahead yeah and and like this wasn't a dream that i had like one or two times like i'm not kidding like i have this dreams five out of seven nights six out of seven nights for probably the first eight to nine months until i started to slowly turn the corner there and it, it was it was terrifying i hated going to sleep you know, I, I just, it was a very hard time. And, you know, I just, luckily the guys in the locker room were always good to me, even though I never, I, I was, I was on the team, but I didn't really feel part of the team. I'd yeah. go to like autograph signings that we'd have to do once a week or once every two weeks in the American league. And, you know, some of the fans knew me, some of the fans were like, why are you here? And then that's a weird, awkward, embarrassing situation. Oh, you don't know me. Cause, uh, I fell under the boards. I got to concuss. Like it just, yeah. just explaining that over and over that probably created some anxiety in me, but luckily um, I took it on my own to find a concussion clinic in Pittsburgh, UPMC university of Pittsburgh medical clinic. They were kind of the cutting edge for concussion rehab at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my team went on like a two week road trip and I called Boston and said, Hey, like, I don't care. I'll pay for this myself. I want to go out and see these doctors. 
Nikki Collins. He's the guy who created the baseline testing. So I went out there for a week, paid for it all myself. They were so helpful. It was literally insane. So if anyone's listening to this and you get a concussion, do not go to like your general doctor. Yeah. Do not go to a sports doctor. Go to a concussion specialist. Like it is, that is, if you listen to anything in this podcast, if you ever get a concussion, go to a concussion specialist because the science is always evolving, ever changing, ever progressing. And what they did six months ago is not what they're doing today. And you will come back stronger and faster if you do that. So after I go to see these doctors, I'm working out in like two months, almost fully working out which is insane because wow. I had done nothing for like nine months at the time. Right. The season was about to end. I get to work out again. I get, I get the green light to finally skate on my own. And I remember laying out on the ice after I skated by myself, no trainer, building empty, 10,000 seat arena in Providence empty. And I just laid on the ice and I was crying. Like, I was just like, Oh my God, like I'm almost back. Like I was laying at center ice, just like, taking it in and i remember hearing brad marchand he was not my teammate i run out there's like vex are you okay and i was like oh yeah man he thought i fell again <laughs> so, there's always always that point right yeah oh no vex already <laughs> you know and and so, sure enough with uh with two practices left in that season I came back and, and I did one practice, no hitting. And I, I pretty much did no hitting the second practice because it was playoffs they were going into. Right. Um, but I got to like fully practice. And then I had the entire summer to train again and get ready for the next year. Um, and you, man, it was, it just felt so good coming back. And after all those hard times, like, you know, nothing was gonna, nothing was gonna get in my way. And no matter how much money somebody offered me, I was mm-hmm. gonna try and make it whether I, whether I could only play one game and I get knocked out again, or I played, you know, 10 years, like I played or nine yeah. more years after that first one. Like I was like, I have to try. Yeah. And that's where, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. Have to try in a sec. Cause the story continues for anybody that's tuned in. This is like a good, this is like a really solid band 2020 episode. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like the story continues, but I want to bring some clarity for, for a couple people um, because I know there's a lot of people that go through this. First and foremost, Jeff was talking about how, you know, he felt that anxiety piece and so on and so forth and the, the depressional part. Listen, true happiness comes from seeing progress in things that we absolutely love, right? Mm-hmm. Things that you're passionate about, things that, that, that you feel is about you. So let's talk about this. Pretend you're in a situation where something like this does happen, massive concussion, it's tough for you to keep going, so on and so forth. The number one thing we always say to any athlete, first and foremost, Find a way to find progress in a small piece of what you're doing. Jeff went to the concussion clinic, not a sports doc, not a a medical doctor, family practitioner. He went to a concussion clinic. What did that do right away? Progress, right? And it's very simple, but a lot of people forget about that part, man. And like, you know, as well as I do, dude, when you're just sitting and sitting and sitting, that's when the chronic crap kicks in and we don't want that. Right. So first thing you went and did was found progress again. And I think that's a major insight. Like if you're going through some shit, realistically speaking, go find progress, go find a way to find progress. And it could be something as simple as, you know, you can speak on this better than I can, but changing up your diet, finding something that works for you. If you've been out of it for a while and you're like, man, where do I start? There's like, there's way more weight that people don't understand behind the saying of little steps. Right. And it's like, it's constant progress. It's constant, simple progress. So first things first. second thing that I like that you talked about where I think a lot of people flip it backwards, you went to the concussion specialist first, 
then you dealt with your feelings. I think that is super important for a lot of people going through the concussion protocol. I'm no expert on it, but I mean, think about it for a sec, man. Like if you can't understand what's going on within you, that sometimes alone is what drives the emotional piece behind it. Right. And it's like, man, that's super tough to deal with. Like, I don't think people realize it, but that literally equates man to like being able to wake up and not walk, even though you have full function of your limbs. Right. Like that's fuck. Like that's scary. That's damn scary. I remember, I remember sitting at, at dinner at a steakhouse. With, I had two roommates that first year in the American League, Kevin Regan and Jeff Penner, who both played in the NHL just a few games. And uh, I remember sitting there talking with Penns. We were eating steak, and, and he was just, how you doing? You know, and this was probably, like, around Christmas time. And I was like, dude, if somebody told me right now you can play one game in the NHL and you'll die the next day, I was like, I'll take that deal. Like, I was like, I'll take that deal. And I, I was 100% serious, like – it was, it was just like just everything I had worked for and all the sacrifice that I had put in. And I sacrificed a lot. Like I sacrificed, I put in work, man. I worked out six days a week, all year round, every year from 17 until I signed. And then every year after that for my, for my career. And I was like, like, I don't care. Like, I just want to fucking make it. And, and, and so being able to look back and like, if I would have dealt with my feelings Mm-hmm. Knowing what I know now about how anxiety affects heart rate, affects your brain, affects yep. sleep, all this stuff. Like, you know, I didn't even know I had anxiety and I was, I had anxiety, you know, and like looking back, I'd never had a problem really with that. Maybe in juniors dealing with my coach, but not like, not the kind of stuff just from normal life. And uh, if I would have like went to, to I should have seen a psychologist, you know, I should have could have taught or, or somebody who's like good with breathing and, yeah. and relax, calming your mind and meditation. And if I would have gotten into meditation, I feel like I probably could have come back sooner. Just like been able to calm my mind after I do little baby step workouts instead of getting anxiety of like, when's the feeling coming? When am I going to get mm-hmm. the headache? Oh, here it is now I'm dizzy. Oh my God, I got to lay down, you know? So I wish I would looking back, I wish I would have dealt with my feelings and I wish I would have went to that concussion clinic sooner because they yeah. taught me so much. Like, well, you said baby steps. Mm-hmm. I could have just been stretching every day. I could yeah. have just been pointing my toes and pulling my toes toward me, working on my ankles, my calves, my lower leg. Yep. It wouldn't get your blood pressure up, and it would have been something, and that would have yep. given me confidence. And maybe that would have, you know, helped. And but you know, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and now anyone right. who has a concussion, I try and help them as much as I can with the knowledge I've gained. Um, but yeah, man, I, I love what you said about baby steps. And I look at every day that way now. And my concussion made me look at that every day in the gym and on the ice every day. If you just get a little bit better, you build those building blocks. And eventually those tiny little building blocks wind up to be a house. And then they wind up to be an apartment building. And then they wind up to be a skyscraper. If you keep doing those little steps day after day for five years, six years, 10 years. So where are you going to go if you get that 1% better every single day? Man, and that's, I love that you said that there was actually a doctor who, um, he, he passed away, unfortunately, but he was, he's all about the body, high performance and all that stuff, right? And lifestyle, but he, I, I like a lot of his work because it's kind of like us when we say about resilience, right? Like resilience isn't just a mental skill. I hate when people call it that because it's not, it is genuinely a lifestyle. Like, man, you can't get in the zone without building confidence and you can't get into that zone without knowing how to focus, but you do that through your day to day. And it's something that it's not a switch that you turn on, but whole other conversation. But anyways, coming back to this doctor, he went and studied at the time, I I believe it was the late nineties, a population that was super successful in sports. 
Okay. And it was a running population out somewhere in, um, in Africa. And what he noticed with this group of individuals, they were endurance runners. They consistently hit peak performances where they were cut, like creating world records essentially. And he said, so like, what the hell is it? Like, they don't have the best nutrition in the world. They don't have the most resources. They, they were like lifting practically like a super poor part of Africa. They were lifting practically like, you know, car tires and, and, and stuff like that, like real hardcore shit that you see in movies. And he's like, but these people like they're, they're glowing. Like, what is it? So he found three major insights. Number one, he found that everything that they had to do was a balance, right? So like running was a part of who they were a part of life. It wasn't life. Big insight when you look at that, right? And it's a lot of people friggin' talk about this and it annoys me to no end. But when you really look at it, it's kind of like, hey, I'm going to go to work, do my job because I love it. And then I'm going to go home, right? So the first part, that's what he noticed. Second part that he noticed, man, which was very interesting to me, was the idea that they were people who understood how to make the environment work for them. And it wasn't like this thing that we talk about where it's like, you know, like, Deal with what you have. I'm not talking about that. I mean, like, okay, so they knew, for example, if they were going to go run and they were pushing a pace run and they saw in the weather forecast that it was going to be super hot that day, they found a different time to go do it, whether it be in the mornings or whatever it is. Now, a lot of people look at it and it's like, well, man, that's kind of common sense. But think about that for a second. You're in the dot, like you're in the, you're in the fucking heart of Africa. Finding a way to make your environment work with what you're doing is huge because you're training for the Olympics. And then the final part was he found all of these people only ever wanted to progress in baby steps, baby steps. So it's like, we look at a lot of our athletes here in North America, right? And we see it a lot of the time, for example, you deal with a lot of strength and conditioning and such squats or benches. And it's like, dude, how much weight am I pushing on it? Where it's like, all these guys gave a shit about man was like, okay, maybe I can go three seconds faster on a run, which in a run, that's massive time, right? So this whole idea behind like baby steps and all this stuff, like a lot of people talk about it and it's, you know, unfortunately sometimes in the fitness and mental coaching, so on environment, a lot of people spew bullshit, but I'll tell you, this doctor was able to break all of this stuff down to scientific principles. And it's like, well, it's simple, right? If you view running as a part of your life, for example, not your life, that's going to allow for more recovery time. Right. And it's like, it's basic principles and shit but when it comes down to it it's simply understanding you know what the what the focus is behind it so the last part i'll say when it came to baby steps what he found was baby steps allow you to focus better and it's like like duh like fuck i wish we thought of this but it's the simple stuff right and it's like when you actually do things in baby steps it's allowing you to just basically pick a task and execute and if we look at kind of what goes on here in North America, we talk about ADHD levels being super high, but man, what do we see athletes doing a lot of the times and not even athletes, but the general population, half their attention is on the task at hand. And then half of it hops over to their phone. And like, man, even talking about stuff during workouts, and we're going to get into your environment right now in a sec, but like we obviously deal with athletes and helping them focus during a workout. And it's like, Matt, what can we do to, to start better focusing on rep by rep? It's like simple, man stop bringing a phone into the gym. Like there's a whole idea behind, you know, confidence and our confidence, sorry, concentration shifts with like, I don't know if anybody knew this, but the average task, when you hop between two things and multitask, it takes you 64 seconds to get back into that one thing that you're doing fully. So imagine that you're in between sets, man, and your recovery time, for example, is, I don't know, a minute and a half. 
and you go onto your phone, it's going to take you 64 seconds now to get back into lock into what you got to do. And you probably feel it on your first couple reps. They usually suck. And then it's like, okay, cool. Now I grease the groove and we're good to go. But no, man, I love that, that part behind baby steps. I think that's massive. And it's, it's something that's very misunderstood, especially in the side of performance in general. But let's hop to the environment part, because this is something I want to, I really want to cover. So we get a lot of strength coaches that tune into what, you know, we talk about, we, we do a lot of different writing and such for blogs, but tell us about that environment. Um, I want to know core, core philosophies first that you have personally, because I believe all of us can share something special with that. And then tell me what, you know, you see in regards to results because of that philosophy. Like if you had to give some major insights, man, on, on how you create this environment, tell me about it. For me, it's just like the only reason I was able to play juniors, the only reason I got a scholarship, the only reason I signed NHL deals, the only reason I played 10 years professionally was because of my dedication. I was right. not the most skilled guy. I was not, you know, gift, super gifted. It was like, I just was like, I'm all in. I'm 100% in. When it's time to work, it's time to work. Like it, when, when we're in the gym and, and I'm training, like if it says one minute rest, I'm going at one minute. I'm not going at 101. I'm not going at 103. I'm not going at 57. I'm going right at a minute. And I, like, I lived that. I absolutely lived that. And so I just try and impress upon my guys, like all of my guys, even the kids who are, who are yep. AAA players. I'm like, hey, you are more skilled than I was. There's no doubt in my mind. Everyone I train has more skill than me. Right. I'm like, but there are people out there like me who are less skilled than you who will give everything every single day. So our goal in my gym is that every day you need to think about your why. And I, it's a, I have a huge sign that I had a guy paint on, on my wall. It says, what is your why? And every day we want to start with, with closing your eyes. And I say, right now, think about why you're here. Right now, what are your goals? If you scored five goals last year and you want to score 10 goals this, this next year, I want you to see the number 10 in your head. I want you to feel yourself scoring 10 goals. I want you to see and feel what it feels like to celebrate with the boys after your 10th goal. Or if you want to make more money or if you, whatever it is, I don't care what your motive, you want to have a better body for the babes. I don't care what your motivation is. Find whatever works for you and think about your why throughout this entire session. So it's And that. just to cut you off there, for anybody that just heard that, that is 100% Vex's insight on everything that he does when he goes to the gym. Better body <laughs> for the babes and all that. That was literally a hack into his psychology that he subconsciously told us about. Oh, well, I'm sure that was partly in there. I'm not going to I'm sure that was in there somewhere. It's probably 2%. Uh, maybe, maybe 98%. Who knows? But, uh, but I really don't care what their why is. I just want them to get more out of it. And something that I have learned without a doubt, it's a fact. If you think about why you're doing something, you will do it with more intention. You will do it right. harder. You will do it more effectively, efficiently. So always bringing in your why. And then the other thing too is like, while you're working that hard, I want, it's, it's an environment. I don't train guys one-on-one -on -one almost any, anymore. I love having competition. Yep. Like competition in practice, I always push my teammates to compete because I want selfishly, I wanted them to like hate me and want to make me better. So I'd be like, hey, me versus you right now, one-on-one. -on -one. Like if I lose, I'll buy you lunch, you lose. And it's not because I like gambling, like nothing like that. It was like, I want you to try harder on me so I'm better for the next game. You know, like if it's team on team, I'd be like, all right, boys, what do we put on the line? Lunch, coffees, change the guy's mm -hmm. skates. I don't care. Let's put something on the line so we work harder. So yeah, now you have a lot. You know, now you have a why. And so in my gym, it's why are you here? Let's create an environment where everyone's pushing everyone. Everyone's helping everyone. Everyone's trying to get that extra rep. And then also on top of that, every single day has to be fun. 
And mm -hmm. I don't think it's my job, especially for NHL players, to make the gym fun for them. Like they need to come in and know how important it is to, to do these things. Practice is all the same, nutrition, all of it. However, I do want to create an environment where they want to be there. We'll play games in between sets. I'll create games out of, out of drills that I know are going to make them better, whether, whether it's a balance drill, making it a competition, or if it's a lift, or if it's a run, or if it's agility. I want to try and make everything I can a competition. So Because you get two elite athletes, whether they're you know 14 or they're NHL, and I say, like, all right, pride's on the line. Let's go. Who's going to yeah. win? Look across into the guy's eyes. They're going to light up, and they're going to want to win because they want to shit talk to that guy. You know, 100%. and then I, I, I encourage the shit talk. I want there to be the energy. I want boys chirping each other in there, you know, stuff like that. And so, like, you know, those are, those are definitely my, my core philosophies, my core tenets. Like, what and, is your why intention man, behind it? Yeah, and, like, dude, I fuck I, – like, the fact that you said this, I love it because this is what I find a lot of the time the pro game takes out of players. Enjoyment. Why the hell would you go play a sport if you didn't enjoy it? Like, I hear about this all the time, right? Like, being the, the resilience mental guys. Like, dude, the fact that athletes come up to us and they're like, man, I can't, like, I'm not enjoying myself going into a game. It's like, well, what the fuck are you doing this for? Like, yeah. man, you, you should train hard throughout the week so that you can enjoy yourself on game day, right? And it's yeah. like, I had an agent that we used to work with. He's much older. He's about 65 years old now. He's an old school dude, old school dude. But he goes, man, like my one simple focus with all my players when I represent them is like, boys, work your face off throughout the week so you can earn and enjoy game day. And it's like, it's true, right? Like think about it for a sec though. If you're not enjoying yourself on game day, if you're not enjoying yourself on competition day, it's because of the work that you put in, man, that's causing you to have this feeling of like, holy shit. Like, I'm not talking about the little pregame nerves where your stomach gets into a little knot. That's called being a human being. I mean, going to game day and it's like, fuck, like, I, I don't want to do this. I don't yeah. want to do this. You know what I mean? And like, we've all had that feeling. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's on the coach. But, you know, like a lot of people have to reflect internally with that, man. I think that's such an important one that people forget about is that enjoyment breeds emotion, which, breed, which breeds energy. But I'll flip that around too. And I have played for coaches where it's not fun. Yeah. But especially after injuries and stuff like that, where I then just became thankful and grateful for every day I had. Like once I got that injury in juniors where I tore my groin off the bone, if anyone ever looks at any of my hilarious YouTube highlights, like I sellied like every goal was my last goal. Like Alex Ovechkin Selly times three. There if I tipped it in, if it went off my skating in, it didn't matter. But that's because I knew from that injury. You never know when it's going to be your last goal. And I constantly yeah. tell the guys that I coach and train this. You never know what's going to be your last game. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah. A car accident could happen. Like, hockey could be over. COVID, whatever. So, like, when you do something, like, enjoy it. You've earned it. And if you're in a practice where the coach is not making it fun or he's getting all over you, it's on you to find a way to make it fun. Yeah, whether it that, is. Whether that, and also, like, if you see a teammate who's down and he's not having fun, go up to Johnny and be like, hey, Johnny. Let's have a scoring competition. You know, hey, let's, yeah. if he's a D-man, let's have a competition. Every time I get around you, I get a point. Every time you stop me, you get a point. Whoever loses has to buy the other guy a Butterfinger. Or like, whatever. Sure. Like, do something to make it, you know, have a purpose and have some fun. Scoring competitions always work for me. And I'm sure that would work in soccer practice. Absolutely. Baseball, hockey, lacrosse. Like, 
you know, make it a competition and then you'll always have more fun doing it. And that really, like I did that every practice in juniors after that injury, all the way throughout the rest of my career. And, you know, when I'd go to a new team every year at first practice, I knew guys are going to look at me crazy because if I score on the shooting drill, I don't care. I'm selling. I'm jumping into the glass. I'm getting the boys going. And at first, some guys would be like, who is this guy? But then they realize, like, no, I don't – that could be my last goal. I'm freaking exactly. happy. Whether, whether it's practice or it's game seven of the playoffs, I'm stoked to score and I'm excited. So you've got to manufacture man. your own energy. Dude, and that's a thing, right? Like – it's the truth, but emotion, emotion is what creates everything within you. Like, I, I hate when people talk about, man, you should go into a game emotionless. Fuck off. Are you kidding me? Going in emotionless, like, I get that's a sexy saying, and I get that everybody wants to look at Michael Jordan, and they're like, wow, man, he was ice cold. Dude, that man was the most emotional motherfucker out there. He just controlled him. Ever. He you was so emotional. <laughs> right? So it's like. Man, whenever you hear about this crap all the time, it doesn't, I, I don't care what anybody says. That enjoyment piece has to be there. And enjoyment for athletes usually comes from competition. But the other thing I'll say too is like, and, and you basically did it in a form. It's a very stoic way of thinking, but man, reflecting on quote unquote death, and I'm not talking real death, but I mean, like, think about it, right? There's a time we all retire. There's a time that we all step away from sport. There's a time that we all decide that we want to let somebody else take over the company, whatever it might be. There's a time that we feel we've served as many people as we can and we've got to step away from it. But like, I think a lot of people need to take into context, man, a little bit that there really is a frigging timeline on things. And I know for me, like I'm saying that sitting here as a fucking 27 year old who's, you know, done some good stuff so far, but like as a kid, man, I never used to think that way. And I'll be honest with you. I absolutely wish that I did like, I absolutely wish that I saw things and was like, fuck man, like this is going to be gone one day. And you know, a lot of us talk about that because we all want to seem hardcore and like raw, but man, at the end of the day, like if you really take that to heart and you really start to see that, that enjoyment, that emotion piece usually just absolutely magnifies by 10 or the why, like you're talking about, you know, purpose, we call it deep roots of resilience. Like everybody has it, but Man, if you don't ask yourself those two questions of what and why, and you're just trying to start something, it's never going to go the way you want, or it will start and then it'll fall off, right? So it's like having these long-term spurts, man, I mean, it's huge, but there's something I want to wrap up with then. The, I, and for anybody right now, I can see it on Jeff's hat. GMBM. I mean, this entire process has giving you a leeway to to go on an amazing mission which is why i've wanted to have you here on this show which is why i wanted to bring you out and i want you to share it with people tell everybody about this give more be more because you know to me man it is it's something that all of us need to practice in life it's something that is such a basic teaching and i'm not saying your concept is of it i mean that it's such a basic just good human nature thing to do that absolutely everybody can and doesn't tell us about it yeah, I think, uh, I think it literally applies to, to everything, whether mm -hmm. you're an athlete, your athletic side, your personal side of life, your school side, it doesn't matter. I, was, I went to this supplement company conference in uh, Arizona my first year being retired, so it was like last year, year and a half ago, and you know, I, I, it was like this big thing where 3,000 people are in the room, and I thought it was going to be one of those things you see on TV where everybody's like, oh, my God, and everybody's <laughs> chanting and, like, rah, fainting rah. and, like, you know, and, and it wound up kind of being like that, but the people were so genuine there, and they, everyone in the room 
wanted to help other people. And it was mainly kind of like a weight loss company for some right. reason. Everyone there was so genuine. And I, I never felt an energy other than maybe like a great concert where you just mm -hmm. feel that energy, you know, like there's just so much energy coming through like a small totally. space. I felt like that there. And I was super inspired. I went for a walk and I sat in front of this like pond in the middle of this business park. And I was just thinking like, how can I be better? Like, like I, I think I'm a good person and, and I think I, I do a lot for other people, but like, how can I be better? And I thought, how did I make, quote unquote, make it in my hockey career? I didn't yep. make it. Before. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. I was like, I, I was just always like working my ass off. I was always giving. And I don't know what, how I thought of it. I was like, well, if I give more, I'll be more. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, like, yeah. And I went and got a tattooed on me that night. I found a tattoo shop outside my hotel. And I was like, I want this tattooed on me. This is how I'm going to live my life from today until the rest of, until the rest of my days. If I give more for people, for myself, for my company, for my parents, for my family, I will be more. I will be a better person. It worked in my hockey career. It worked in my school career. When I did more, when I gave more, when I paid attention more, I was more. I became more. I, I over, I don't want to say overachieved, but I, I reached my truest potential. Yep. And so I, I was just like, all right, like I'm going to give more you know, whatever that means. Like if I have to give a free session to somebody who can't afford it, I'll give a free session. I don't care because that's going to wind up doing something obviously very positive for them, which I'm giving more now, you know, I'm going to be more because I'm going to work with somebody who I haven't worked with. Um, I'm going to feel good that I helped someone who couldn't afford to come to me. Like, and I just wanted that to spill over to other people. And so I, I approached this uh, company, Humble Hockey, and I was like, Hey, like, I just want to get shirts made for my clients. I just right. wanted to say, give more, be more on it. And I was like, boys, like, trust me. I don't care if you're the most skilled guy in the room or the least guy in the room. I promise you that if you give more to your nutrition, your schooling, your family, hockey, everything, you will be more. You will be a better player. You will be a better person. That's a fact. It's, the, it's not up for debate. It is a fact. And so I didn't know if anyone would buy the shirts. All of them wanted it. They all bought the shirts. So then I had bracelets made. And then I had hats made. And then now I have this whole clothing line where people are – are buying it, you know, because they love the message. And I, I just tell the guys, if you wear this into the gym, I want you to look at it as you're walking in. Cause I think it's just, it just serves as a reminder, it serves sure. as a reminder. And I think it looks cool. It doesn't say get more, be more. It's not cheesy. It's not mm -hmm. gimmicky. It's just very subtle. And it's like, when you put this on, like, you know what this means, go give more today. And I promise you, you'll be more. Yeah. And that's, man, that's, that's, I love that because the one thing I'm going to say, um, and I'm not calling it like in a negative way. That is the definition of being selfish to be selfless, yeah. which I think so many fucking people, man, don't understand because we're in this world right now where it's like, Oh, do for others. Listen, a parent can't take care of a kid fully unless they take care of themselves. Right. I mean, think about that for a second. Imagine if mom and dad, and unfortunately to some people tuning in, you might, have an experience like this but if mom and dad mom and dad don't take care of themselves and then they try to raise you and we know how that kind of looks this idea of giving more from within i think is by far one of the most important things that people can't can't do enough of because it's genuine it's real and it's not some kind of fabricated bullshit of like hey you know what man i'm gonna go out. listen as human beings we are selfish beings and if we can learn how to harness in on that selfishness we can win heavily. And I mean, help others win, right? Like pretend you're at a store and you hold the door open for someone because it feels good for you. What you mean to tell me because that's a selfish move because it feels good to you. You're not going to go hold that door 
Like, come on, Dick, go hold the door open. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. So it's like, hate people who don't hold the door. Yeah, man. So I don't know. I just, I love that message. I think it's great because it's promoting what I think a lot of, you know, people say society's soft, but listen, we've been taught to, to do everything quote unquote together and together and together when I think a lot of people have forgot to take care of themselves so that they can give more to other people. That is where I think the main message is behind, you know, what you, what you bring behind and what I think gives it so much power. You know, and I, I love that you said that being selfish to be unselfish because I, I, I love that. And I, once I heard that probably, probably around the same time I came up with give more, be more, I heard that. And I was like, mm-hmm. that makes sense to me too. And since that day, well, my whole life, I had a problem with, you know, girlfriends or, or relationships or my family. We go on vacation. I'd be like, look, I have to work out. And yeah. I, like, I'm, we're on vacation. It doesn't matter. I have to work out. And I was being selfish. But I knew that if I didn't work out, I'd be in a bad mood all day. Yeah. I'd be like, we didn't get better today. So by me not working out, I'd be a pain in the ass to be around for the rest of my family or whoever the rest of the day and the whole vacation. So yeah, selfishly, I was like, look, for me to be my best self, I need an hour to an hour and a half. I'll get up in the morning. I don't care. I'll go. But please don't be mad at me. And you know what's funny is I never told my parents that I, and I get anxiety too about not getting better that day a little bit. I mean, yeah. I have to do this for myself so I can give more to everyone else and, and, and be more. And so after I retired, I, I went on a family vacation, first one in a long time. And I was like, look, guys, I finally told them, like I told you, I started to try and talk yeah, about yeah. my feelings more. I had never told them this. Like, I need to go work out. I need this. I will be better and nicer and more fun to be around, more enjoyable the rest of the day if you let me go do this. Right. Or else I'm, I feel like shit, I'm having anxiety and all this stuff. Yeah. And you know what? My parents were like, oh, okay, go do it. And they had always like bagged on me for wanting to go work out on a vacation or something. Yeah, man. And I, I voiced why I needed to do it. And they were totally fine with it. My sister was fine with it. Her husband was fine with it. Go do what you got to do. Come back and, and be your normal self. And then right. I was. So I was selfish to be unselfish. Absolutely. And man, like... You know, even with that, it's just, it's so true, but fuck, man, I can't stress how many people, like, we know we're going to do more for other people than we do for ourselves, but I don't think we realize enough that when you do start doing that, you do more and more and more without taking care of yourself first, like having a morning routine, you know, we say it all the time, you need two things at least every single day that you do. You got to feed your mind and feed your body. Feeding your mind is, you know, some sort of learning for at least at least 30 minutes a day with some sort of just time to sit and focus on what you got to do. And then some way to push your body, it gets oxygen into it and all that good stuff that we need. But like, man, we often cut that crap off. Cause it's like, well, I got to get these texts and these emails and blah, 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 blah. And in reality, it's like, you're making yourself worse. Um, and it's just how it goes, man. Selfish to be selfless, give more to be more. I love both of them. So Jeff to wrap it, uh, wrap it up. Where can we find you? Plug away, my friend. <laughs> uh, I just tell people to try and follow me on Instagram. It's just at Jeff Lavecchio, the word love, C-C-H-I-O. And uh, I have quite a few training programs out now. I do online right. training, uh, NHL All-Stars. Uh, and, and hold on, promote what's going on right now. So you're, are you giving away in case there's a second wave? I picked up on that. Yeah, so, so I had no, I, I had online clients that were just pros around the world where I just sent them PDFs. Then I got hooked up with this uh, Train Heroic app. The owner is a mutual friend of a mutual friend. And it's been unbelievable. I had no clients on this thing when COVID hit. And I think today, I think I had, I've had 740 people use my Amazing. programs in the last few months. 
Um, with that being said, during COVID, I kept the price hilariously low. It's all videos, it's demonstrations. You, you write in all your work. It's the best app I've ever seen. It's super clean. Um, right. So I kept the price super low, but I also had put out tweets and, and, and Instagram right. posts saying, if your team gets shut down, whether it's, I mean, non-hockey players could use this. It's mainly for hockey players. Right. But any sport that would work. If you get shut out of your rink, your, your field, your gym, if you DM me all the, the um, what's happening and all the emails on your team, I'll send you one of my online programs for free. I don't think that any kid, especially for youth, I don't think yeah. that any kid needs to, to go through two to four, three weeks of doing nothing, no. sitting at home again. I saw how poorly and negatively it affected guys mentally and physically. Ooh. So I have the ability to help. So I'm trying to GMB him, man. That's all it is. Honestly, live it, live it and be it. And that's the last thing I'll say about Jeff. Dude, you're, you're an awesome practitioner at what you do. Um, that's why I like having guys like you on the show, um, females too, of course, but people that, that actually practice their, their shit, they walk the talk, whatever you want to call it, man. Like Jeff's got a lot of interesting content on his, on his Instagram as well. Like just great workout stuff. Great you know, just well-being stuff that I personally like. He's always uploading to his stories and shit too. You got to check it out. He's got a lot of good stuff up there. Positive message, of course. And, you know, he's living, he's living the lifestyle that he talks about, the give more, be more. So, Jeff, I appreciate you being on, man. We'll definitely have you back on sometime later on in the future. But, dude, until then, I'm going to keep giving more and being more, being selfish to be selfless and uh, kind of going from there, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I want to say this too. Your episode on my podcast, the Hockey Think Tank podcast. Oh yeah, anyone, the podcast. Yeah, go for well, it. Any, anyone who hasn't listened to our podcast, and it's pretty big now. We're we're creeping up to half a million total downloads now. Amazing. And uh, your episode, anyone who hasn't listened to it and is, oh, I heard you got a podcast. Tell me what it's about. I immediately say, first episode you should listen to is Matt Calderoni because whether you're a parent, uh, a teacher, a coach, or a player you or a normal human you will get something out of that episode it's one of the most important episodes we have done if not the most important because every single person in all walks of life will get better by listening to the things that you taught us on that episode and i truly mean that so for any of your listeners if you want to hear like matt really get detailed into it i'm sure he does on the podcast but go to a hockey think tank podcast and look up matt calderoni's episode because it's the most important one we've done and we've had on some unbelievable guests Amazing. And right there, that's, that's why um, Jeff just became the, the official brand ambassador for us, right? With that statement. So that was, uh, that was no, I'm kidding. I don't but anyway, bro. There it is, man. We appreciate that. So Jeff, we'll make sure to all, everybody give Jeff a check out, obviously, of course, a follow all that stuff and check out his programs. Like, honestly, it's good stuff. I like the video module aspect to it too. It's not just some sets and reps crap. Like it's real, it's legitimate. And he's a practitioner with it. Like, He's got uploads on his Instagram about how he's used it, how he goes through it. So check it out. Um, I'm done plugging them in. We'll see everybody in the next episode. Take care.